everyone. I'm John Pataki, and welcome to Best One Sense the Next One, the podcast that dives headfirst into the sum of Vermonoth-sized landscape of genre entertainment and the fandom it inspires. Today in the pod, we're reflecting on five years of Solo, a Star Wars story, possibly the most consequential movie in the Disney Star Wars era. Mired by controversy, behind-the-scenes drama, and an unfortunate release date, Solo is often described as the redheaded stepchild of this new era of storytelling in a galaxy far, far away. But five years after the fact, is the much maligned spinoff as scruffy-looking as we remember? Here to discuss that with me, and to list our five favorite things about Solo, fresh from a Minoc roast on Ardenia, it's our trusty Star Wars correspondent, Stephanie Cole, and the host of the Force Time podcast, Travis Bryant. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. I'm glad to bring the show back on this note of being able to celebrate something that the three of us really enjoy, which is Solo, a Star Wars story, or just Solo, because Solo, a Star Wars story, is a huge mouthful. Travis, we'll start with you. What's your relationship to this movie? Like, When did you see it? What was the response if you saw it in the theater? I felt incredible. I loved it so much. I I remember I saw it opening night, of course, and I just remember that feeling of star Wars right from the beginning that it, it had the different crawl. It didn't have the the typical crawl that we're used to, but right away it just, it felt star Wars and that opening scene just got me hooked. And I just remember coming out of it thinking that was so much fun. It was just like blockbuster popcorn, like pure star Wars goodness all the way through. And I, I was all in, right away and obviously i was kind of surprised by how it performed box office wise because i sure. loved it so much but I, you know anything star wars really i'm gonna probably go see it five times in theaters anyways but yeah i loved it i was on board right away i i thought that alden's han was was so good i you know he made it his own and i don't know i just i loved it i still love it today i still got that feeling i rewatched it last night into today and i still have that same exact feeling with it five years later which is crazy and that beginning is great too it very much reminds me of like the beginning of terminator or like the beginning of of blade runner instead of having the crawl they just have like a quick exposition about where we're Mm -hmm. at in the story in the timeline and that's just such a such a fun way to differentiate it from the saga films but also from rogue one who just like launched right into the story I was hooked from that point too. And then the, the way the logo comes over Corellia and it's like kind of like that digitized neon solo. It was like, I was like, this is cool. This is different already. So how about you, Stephanie? How, what's your relationship to the movie solo? So if I'm thinking about it, I was exci- very excited about it because of all of the new films that were coming out since the Disney buy um, Rogue One was instantly my all time favorite. So I kind mm-hmm. of got into the expectation that, these standalone movies were going to be just my bag. Um, And I was kind of, I was very reluctant. I mean, I wasn't reluctant, but I kind of needed a little bit more convincing at first to get super excited for Solo. I wasn't going to be thinking negatively about it, but I was like, I don't know. I think a lot of people were on this on this same page where it's like, do we really need this? Is is he going to yeah. be as good like as as Harrison Ford? Are we going to believe that he's a young Harrison Ford? Is this movie going to prove it's worth existing? You know, and all of this behind the scenes drama was happening, but I was still optimistic and obviously I was going to go see it. And I did I did like notice a difference in like how many people were excited for it, but I was kind of 
I'll get to this when I talk about what I really like about that movie, but there was something kind of refreshing about having a Star Wars movie to look forward to that everybody wasn't like losing their minds over because I felt like I could really just sort of relax and have fun and (laughs) not have like a stress-based heart attack about what kind of crazy thing, saga altering thing could possibly drop on my lap at midnight when I, when I go see it. Like, I'm like, this is going to be a fun Star Wars time. And I was really, my expectations were really blown out of the water when I first saw it. Like from that intro, that very beginning shot with the car where he's hot wiring the car and the way the lighting is and the music, I was just like, okay, this is awesome. And I, I just loved it. It was home run after home run for me. And I loved I just had so much fun with it. And I didn't come out feeling like my, my universe was shaken. Like even after Rogue One, I was like, that was so intense and it was directly connected into a new hope. And it just added all of this, this intense, deep emotion to the whole experience. This was just like a delightful, extremely entertaining Star Wars adventure that I honestly couldn't wait to see over and over again, that I was happy didn't drain me so emotionally the way that the last Jedi or um, even Rogue one did, because I loved those movies, but those were emotionally intense movies for me. And this was just like star Wars. I love it. And yeah, I remember seeing it over and over again. I took my parents to it and they don't know star Wars really, but they go to all of the movies. And my mom after this one was like, I think that one's my favorite of the new ones yet. And I was like, yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? It is. It's like a good like primer course for Star Wars. It gets you into mm-hmm. the world. It doesn't have the Skywalker baggage to it. I mean, there's ultra connectivity between like the references in it and the in jokes and things like that. But if you don't know that stuff, you can still enjoy it as its own standalone. And there's not all this emotional baggage that goes along with it, like you're saying. My boys have already seen everything except for Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And like, so this could have been the first one I showed them. It's violent in spots. It's pretty family friendly. Pretty straightforward fun adventure. And it kind of seems like a YA Star Wars novel as a movie. Mm. And that's what I really enjoy about it is it's just like this fun little caper heist film. My experience with it was I remember being like an active hater before it's coming out. <laughs> like I was one of like I was one of the like, do we really need this? I was, this was like a really grumpy period of my life. I was getting no no sleep. My boys were like one. So I was just like mm-hmm. really grumpy all the time. And I was like, ah, solo movie, do we need this? Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, obviously the Star Wars fever hits you and, you know, tickets go on sale. And I went with my friend, Matt. We get to the theater and there was like nobody in the theater, literally nobody. And it was the weirdest feeling to me because I'm so used to the place being packed to the brim on a Star Wars opening night. So I was kind of like, hello. And at that point, my expectations were so low, so low for it. I left blown away there's a picture of me like laying on the ground outside of the theater just like breathing heavily because i was like that kicked my ass it was so good i think that that's really what they were aiming for such a low stakes fun film and i think distancing from it five years later you can really see the intent a lot more clearly whereas you know at the time it's completely mired by oh the director's left and this happened and ron howard came in etc etc and it's like now you can just kind of sit and enjoy this like fun Star Wars crime movie. The, the fact that people weren't in the theater for that was really surprising. And it really turned mm-hmm. out that way when the box office returns came in. Where do you think that Star Wars would be if this was a mega hit? 
if it had flipped the other way and like gone through the roof and you know everyone loved it and everyone went to go see it eight times and what if it hit that billion dollar mark where do you think star wars would be right now if that had happened before i answer that question that story you told me about there being no one in the theater reminded me of a really funny story that i think sort of goes off of that from my first experience of seeing solo is once again it was a shockingly empty theater for a star wars like premiere but i do remember there was a guy sitting next to me or like a couple seats down for me who just he gave me the air of being like one of the guys who was like grumpy about it you know what i mean like he sat down he first of all i don't want to stereotype but he did look a bit like somebody who would be like trolling on twitter <laughs> I, mean, I will say no more but he's sitting in the chair and in the seat and he had his arms crossed in front of him and he looked kind of grumpy when he first sat down like kind of like okay impress me as the movie went on every single thing that happened like you could see him warming up a little bit more and he was laughing at like every joke and he was like smiling at every like clever thing that it did and by the end of the movie he just started clapping and he was like excellent and i was like there that's it like if more people had been like him and just given it a chance i think it would be in a completely different place but yeah i i I don't know what it would be but i kind of wish it had been a success because i i want more star wars like this and i don't want it to get like to a point where they're just making nothing but backstories of existing characters and like classic throwback to like new Hollywood films and things style and not like giving any uh, taking any risks or trying anything new. I don't really want that, but I do miss the sort of pure Star Wars ness of this. We'll get into it, but even on things that like are very like pure Star Wars vibes, and I don't really know how else to describe it, like the Mandalorian, aren't this. They don't feel like this. They feel like something else, which is not a bad thing, but it's just, it's not quite this. This feels like a movie that would have been made in the 70s or 80s. And like, I think that you don't want it to get too like, oh, we're just trying to be movies that were made back then and too nostalgic. But I just kind of think that, there's a little bit of a lack of that kind of energy in some of the Star Wars that we're seeing today that I I want more of. So I kind of wish it were a big hit. How about you, Travis? Where do you think Star Wars would be had Solo been a mega hit? I definitely think we would have probably two or three more movies uh, by now in theaters. Um, sure. I think this definitely put everything – like the, it made them rethink everything, I think, and really focused their attention to TV, which has – obviously worked out great like stephanie said like i'm i'm ready for star wars in a theater <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. i want that's that's the kind of star wars that i really want there's really there's nothing like it going to a new star wars movie and seeing it for the first time in a theater with other people it like i feel like that's the way that star wars is supposed to be watched and as much as i love the mandalorian book of boba fett all this other stuff that we've gotten, all the animated uh, shows that have been great. I feel like Star Wars isn't necessarily supposed to be meant to be watched at four o'clock in the morning on your (laughs) TV while you're trying to be quiet. So you don't wake up your family um, without anybody else. And then the weird thing about that too, is you're not exactly sure. Like when can I start talking about this uh, with, with my friends or online or like when, 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 is it okay for spoilers? Like with a movie, you know, it's like normally, okay, a week it's out, 
let's talk about it. It's just kind of mm-hmm. a weird feel overall. Like I said, as much as yeah. I love that stuff, but I think it's just, it's time for, and I, that's why I'm so excited that we got these movie announcements, which they're going to happen. I, mm-hmm. I, I know they've said it before, but I, I feel like these are going to happen. And um, so, yeah, I think it just, it made them rethink everything, really focus their attention on, on Disney plus on TV, um, which is unfortunate, I think, but yeah, I think it would be a whole different story if, if it had made a lot of money. You know, even going to see like Return of the Jedi in the theater when they re-released it this time, when I took my I took my boys to see that, and I was like, "This is what it's all about—like a packed mm-hmm. theater, people with their families, everyone with their Star Wars costumes or gear or sh- their shirts on, everyone ready to go." And it's just it's just the most fun thing in the world to do. And Solo was that, and I just really don't know why people didn't show up for it. But you know, if this had hit like it was supposed to, they're definitely you know the Obi Wan Kenobi show would have been a movie, the Boba Fett mm-hmm. movie probably, probably would have continued. I'm not sure where those things were on the timeline and when things got scrapped and when all that stuff makes my head hurt, but it really comes down. It's just like, it's so weird that they pinned the failure of, I don't even want to say failure. They pinned the momentum of the star Wars franchise itself on like this kind of lost leader movie of solo where it's like, Oh, it only made half a half a million dollars. And it's like, yeah, but one time it didn't make as much money Mm -hmm. as you thought it was going to. You can probably try again. Yeah. That whole era was kind of a nightmare in terms of like the discourse and like no one was talking about Star Wars proper. They were just talking about the business side of things, which like we are kind of doing now, but it is important to the legacy of the movie itself. It really made the discourse about Star Wars really about the flaws and it really fired up the fire Kathleen Kennedy crowd, which is like, get the hell out of here. It made Star Wars like not fun with this double punch of like Last Jedi backlash and then into Solo being a quote unquote failure. It was like, Ugh, I don't even want to like talk about this with people because it's like I don't want to talk about Solo failing and Last Jedi being not about Luke Skywalker doing a flip and like crushing a planet with the Force. I'm sorry that it wasn't that. But what it comes down to, it's just, it's just like you can move on from that. And once you're out of that clusterfuck of an argument about Star Wars, like you can really sit home with Disney Plus and fire up Solo and have the best time with really fun characters, really bright, lively planets fun action set pieces like just wonderful aliens and droids and it's just like it's a blast it's like it's just like a really low stakes fun star wars story and i'm glad it exists yeah we should move on and talk about the actual movie itself so without further ado let's jump into the cockpit of the millennium falcon and head straight into the maelstrom as we discuss solo a star wars story idea for a young Han Solo story started its life uh, as a planned cameo in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, when it was originally planned that a young Han would take part in the Battle of Kashyyyk. Later, uh, the scrapped Star Wars TV show Star Wars Underworld was set to depict the initial meeting of Solo and Chewbacca 
and Han's acquisition of the Millennium Falcon from Lando. Sounds familiar. Then finally, in 2012, just three weeks before Disney would announce their acquisition of Lucasfilm, George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy met with writer-director Lawrence Kasdan and presented him nine story ideas that were fleshed out by the maker himself, George Lucas. Kasdan noted that the solo story spoke to him the most, but he wasn't in the headspace to direct it, so he brought on so he brought on his son Jonathan to pen the script, who you know ended up completing it because Lawrence was pulled away to finish the screenplay for The Force Awakens. As we mentioned before, notoriously, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were originally attached to direct Solo from a script by Lawrence and Jonathan Kasdan, but a host of behind-the-scenes drama, those damn creative differences, <laughs> saw them exiting the film. Uh, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, obviously most notably known for like 21 and 22 Jump Street, the Lego movies, producers and writers for the Spider-Verse movies, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole rigmarole about what may or may not have happened. The long and short of it seems to be that Lord and Miller believe they were brought in to make a comedy when everyone else on it thought that they were there to just add comedic tones to the movie. So their trademark improvisational style was completely derailing the production and the tone of the film, according to some. So... You know, just they were racing up against a deadline. Tones were clashing. Egos were clashing. So they just walked away. Either walked away or were fired. You know, the, the stories differ. Um, so when they exited, they brought on old reliable Ron Howard, who notably was originally offered the honor of directing The Phantom Menace when it was first coming out. He was brought in to finish the production and all necessary reshoots, uh, with Lord Miller eventually being given executive producer credits on the film. Now that we got that out of the way, it's important to the story of Solo, but like, it's just, like I said, it's just so mind-numbing after a while that that's like the only thing that's talked about with it. But um, So let's move on to the fun stuff. Released on May 25th, 2018, five years to this very day, the film follows the exploits of a very young Han Solo as he leaves his homeworld of Corellia after a heist goes wrong and he's split from his love, Kira. After briefly serving the Empire and eventually meeting his BFF, Chewie, in captivity, Han joins up with a band of criminals, his soon-to-be mentor, Tobias Beckett, his partner, Val, and the four-armed Ardenian, Rio Durant voiced by John Favreau, ever heard of him, trying to smuggle coaxium for a crime syndicate called Crimson Dawn in hopes of making enough credits to return home and fly off into the sunset with Kira. Little does he know that Crimson Dawn just so happens to employ his old flame, and they set off to score unrefined coaxium for the mining planet of Kessel to settle a debt with crime lord Dryden Voss, all while being pursued by the Cloud Riders, a rival gang led by the enigmatic Enfys Nest. In the process, they meet a young Lando Calrissian, and the Millennium Falcon takes flight as we're treated at the Kessel Run, first mentioned in A New Hope. Alliances and hearts are broken. Solo kills Beckett. Kira kills Voss and assumes his place under the command of one robot-legged ex-Sith Maul. Was he ex-Sith at this point? He was like free agent Maul. Yeah, point, he, was, he was fully non-Sith. But he still had to have his lightsaber to show you. Just to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's right over here. I'll show it to you. I read a good like a, like a blurb about that that aspect that like Sam Witwer really does the most for Maul, where mm-hmm. the the producers were like, "Here's your double sided lightsaber," and Sam Witwer is the voice of Darth Maul mm-hmm. or Maul on Rebels and Clone Wars for those that are not caught up to that. And he was like, "Maul doesn't have the double sided lightsaber right now," and they're like, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" And he's like, "He's like he's either going to have the dark saber or the Inquisitor saber." So that he ends up with the Inquisitor Saber. So Sam Witwer out here just uh, doing the most for all of us fans to keep it consistent. So Hell yes. The Coaxium ends up in the hands of the Cloud Riders who turn out to be Freedom Fighters trying to fund an early proto version of the Rebellion. Han and Chewie fly off to Tatooine to meet up with Jabba the Hutt in what promises to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Let's see. The budget came in at $275 million to $300 million. 
um, which you know is mostly why this is considered a quote unquote bomb because the box office was 393.2 million overall. It really just made a really bizarrely small amount of money for a Star Wars film. So, but then again, like I said earlier, I don't really know why they pumped the brakes that quickly after one perceived failure, but here we are. The big part of the whole movie was the hand-wringing and the nerves around Alden Ehrenreich as mm-hmm. Han Solo. Yeah, over 3,000 actors were brought in to audition for the role of Han, including Coral himself, Chandler Riggs from uh, from The Walking Dead, Rami Malek, which would just be like the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> Rami yeah. Malek was Han Solo. <laughs> I didn't even know about that one. <laughs> Potential future James Bond, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, Draco Malfoy himself, Tom Felton, uh, Nick Robinson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Charlie Cox, Daredevil. The final list itself was narrowed down to Alden, Miles Teller of Top Gun Maverick fame, problematic superstar Ansel Elgort, also problematic superstar Dave Franco, and a few other people. And obviously it went to Alden. I was watching West Side Story when it was in theaters, and one mm-hmm. of the first thoughts I was like, that's Han Solo. That guy looks like Han Solo. So I can see definitely see where that came from. At that point, I forgot he was even in the running for Han Solo. So... I was like, why did they cast that guy? And then I Googled him and I was like, oh, that's why I didn't, that's why they didn't cast that guy. What do you think about Alden in this movie? I loved him. I, I was I was drawn in right away. I Before the movie came out, I looked at it as, I wasn't so much looking at it as like, okay, is Alden going to be, like, is he going to nail all the Han Solo mannerisms and voice and this and that? I looked at it more as, okay, what is his take on this character? Because sure. characters in general... You know, we, of course, like Harrison Ford is Han Solo, right? So that's a really tough one to to do. Uh, But that's how I looked at it before coming into it. And there's a moment right at the very beginning with him and Kira where he kind of pauses in between a couple words and and raises his eyebrows. I can't remember exactly what he says. But at that moment, I was just like, okay, I'm in. Like that, that's Han. And this is his Han. And that's okay. And the rest was just like, I wasn't ever thinking of it like, is he doing Harrison Ford as Han Solo or is he just like putting his own take on Han Solo? And so sure, sure. I, I didn't have an issue with it right away. I was just like after those first couple minutes, I was like, OK, I'm in. So you're saying you wouldn't prefer Rami Malek as Han Solo? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. No. I'm like haunted <laughs> by that that vision for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I was – I was really a fan. I was I was open-minded to whoever they were going to cast with the understanding that like they would probably pick someone who would do their best and like I also wasn't expecting a carbon copy of Harrison Ford nor would I want that. Um and I was like, "All right, this is a younger Han Solo. He's a bit of a different person. We'll get that out of the way so we don't have to expect that it's going to be Harrison Ford." But I thought right. he killed it. I was so taken in by his mannerisms and how he was his own version, like you said, of the character. So believably Han without being an an impression of Harrison Ford as Han Solo. He was just embodying um, who this character would be at this stage of his life. And there were just so many little things he did with the character that just mannerisms or facial expressions or ways of talking that made you it made me just forget that this wasn't just a young version of Han. And I think somebody who was trying too much to do an impression or like trying too hard would have made me think this was someone doing a Han Solo impression, but I just believed it. I I bought it hook, line and sinker. And I stopped caring about whether 
it was like this really looked like younger Han, which I think he did. Be, he didn't like when they first like showed him, I was like, okay, he's a brown haired guy with like a, a good face. I guess that could be yeah, young Harrison dashing Ford. good looks. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I was like, I don't know, um, maybe, but like the way he just embodied it, I was just like, there he is. That's Han Solo. And I bought it. Yeah. He looks as much like Han does like a young Han as Donald Glover does a young Lando. It's like, it's yeah. close enough. You know, I kind of felt the same way, whereas, you know, his first couple lines, I was like, ooh, are we doing this? And then, like, about five minutes in the movie, I was like, we are in good hands. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because this isn't, again, this isn't fully grown and fully realized Han. This is a teenage or early 20s Han Solo. Or I, I, know, I don't know how old he is. How old is anybody in Star Wars ever? Um, yeah, no there's a knows. way you could do the math, <laughs> and I probably could, but I'm not going to be pulling up Wikipedia right now. <laughs> Yeah, that, let me pull out that amazing Star Wars Timelines book and we can check it out. <laughs> it, it comes down to the fact that it's like, think about yourself when you were a teenager and how little bits of your personality were there already, fully formed, but then you grew into a more confident version of yourself. And that's the Harrison Ford Han. That's the classic Han. But this was like, you, you, you can't start there with young Han. You have to start even more insecure because at the end of the day, Han Solo isn't a secure person. He's That's what makes him so great is that he seems cocky and confident and cool, but he's really just like super insecure and wants people to adore him and like him. I always thought like as a kid, you're like you, everyone wants to be a Han Solo, but in the end, you, everyone is kind of Han Solo because you want to pretend like you're cool and confident in all situations, but like really you're just kind of second guessing yourself until you figure out what you're, what you're doing and who your friends are and who your family are. And that's always been Han to me. I've never viewed him as like the ultimate and cool. I've always viewed him as like the everyman. That's just like trying to get by. And mm -hmm. Alden did a really fantastic job of like starting as this like really bright eyed and bushy tailed version of Han. Like there's the part where he's flying where he's like, I've got a really good feeling about this, which I I love that as a subversion of like, I got a bad feeling about this, but also as like, oh, this is a way different Han because he's like, I, this is great, guys. Everyone's doing really good. He's optimistic. He's positive. He's less jaded. I That sort of really count, um, really just narrows in on what makes this movie so interesting is that there's this is a movie like Han's character arc in the original trilogy is him starting out a really cynical jaded person who's like very just mm -hmm. focused on himself becoming a more loving tender altruistic person by the end of the, the sure. saga and this you know this story is about a somewhat hopeful, positive, uh, optimistic person becoming that cynical person that we see at the beginning of the original trilogy. So it's kind of a reverse arc that we don't often get in Star Wars that I thought was really refreshing to see. And I think that he really embodied that. Uh, it made the Absolutely. movie have a reason to exist, I thought, was like being like, how did this person get to this point? And especially too, after seeing, you know, Force Awakens having been out at this point and seeing old Han as this, like, everyone was right. It was true. All of it, you know, everything that's existed that I doubted was real. And this like wise, loving older Han with regrets. It's this really nice one, two, three of aging and how you start as like the young punk teen. You become like the kind of jaded person in middle age. And then like, you're like, Near the end of your life, you're like, this is what it was all for. It was just like for my, not to get too fast and furious, but like my family, you know, around <laughs> all of it. It's like everyone that I've loved is just like the reason 
that I'm here. It's not about Han Solo, the myth. It's about Han Solo, the person. And so this just like, it, it really adds to that journey and he crushed it. I think he's great. I think it ages better every time you see it. Movie also stars Woody Harrelson as Tobias Beckett. Uh, Christian Bale was in discussions to play the role that eventually went to Woody. Uh, fans speculated at first. I remember this so clearly that uh, he'd be playing Garrus Shrike, who is Han's <laughs> mentor from the Star Wars Legends canon. There was like, do you remember this? Like people going fucking insane. Like he's got to be Garrus. He's going to be Garrus yeah. Shrike. And yeah. And like, Woody Harrelson okay. accidentally <laughs> like said he be. was like on a talk show because he was probably like high and had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Somebody was like, are you playing Garrus Strike on, on a talk show? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> was like, yeah, sure. This That's man does guy, not I... know what you just asked him, but everyone was like, oh my God, he is. He was, yeah, he was huffing some paint in the closet or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eventually revealed that he was playing Tobias Beckett, who is a character that's based firmly on uh, Long John Silver from Treasure Island. And it's like, that's a, it's almost like a one to one homage to that character. Man, I always think about Long John Silver as the restaurant and like how that <laughs> I know that, like, I, I started like craving fish sticks when you said that. <laughs> some hush puppies, some deep fried, like, yeah. composite fish. It's not good, but I still craved it when you said that. Have you ever noticed that Long John Silvers always have seagulls in the parking lot? They know what they know where the eating is. Yeah, it really adds to the ambiance of the restaurant. Is uh, some seagulls out front? <laughs> Amelia Clark uh, as Kira for this role. Tessa Thompson, Naomi Scott, Zoe Kravitz, Kiersey Clemens, and Jessica Henwick were all said to have auditioned for the role, but it eventually went to the Game of Thrones alum Amelia Clark. As much as I love Amelia Clark in this movie, and I love the character of Kira, I can't resist the idea of a Tessa Thompson Kira. It would be so awesome. I think she would mm-hmm. be so perfect. Not that Amelia Clark was not perfect for the role, but man, I just love Tessa Thompson. I really think she would have crushed this. Of course, the role he was born to play, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. Billy D himself mostly approve of Glover's portrayal, but he criticized the relationship between Lando and L3 as a possible reason for the film's lack of success. Um, <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, that's <laughs> As if reason. people were like, I can't condone this movie's like cross-human yeah. <laughs> droid. <laughs> he said, quote, I think that the reason they didn't have the success they could have had is because they were going for something that was topical instead of an adventure that's far beyond those questions. If you're talking about this huge, incredible story, why lock yourself into this tiny moment between a character like Lando and his robot friend? I don't really know what he's trying to say there. It's like borderline <laughs> seems problematic to me, and I don't really, I don't really want to go there with Billy D. Because he's, he's a legend. I don't know if you saw him on the Return of the Jedi panel during Celebration, but he said about three words and then left before the <laughs> left before the panel was Good over. For him. <laughs> but I, I don't think that people's main problem with this movie was like human droid fucking. I don't think that that was really <laughs> the, what we're yeah. upset about. Um, I'm, I'm hoping so. that he would, when he said topical, what he means is like people falling in love with Siri, maybe. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's what he thought was topical. But yeah, let's just let's just move on from that from Billy D. But yeah, Donald. But you know, even beyond that, Donald Glover in all the reviews garner the most praise of anyone in the movie for his his portrayal of Lando, and he is really, really good. When I first saw the movie, I was like, "Ah, is is it too much of an impression? Is it too? But the more I watch it, the more I'm like, no, that's just like young cocky Lando, and he's great. The other thing is, like, I loved it because I also was like, he leans a little more impression than uh, Alden does, which is, I think, fine because Lando is that. Like, he's an impression Lando of is a who character. he thinks. He, he knows what he's doing. He's an impression of the person he thinks people want him to be. 
throughout 100%. his whole life. So I think that that worked perfectly for him. And yeah, I, I love Donald Glover. My cousin was friends with him in college. Ooh. <laughs> Did a little flex there. Nice. I never <laughs> met him. For me, again, I had to look at it through the lens of, okay, this is young Lando. Yeah. And he is very similar to the Lando that we see, but also he, you know, even how Han describes him in the Empire Strikes Back, where he's like, oh, look at you, like going straight, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're leading Cloud City and all this stuff. Like who would have ever thought? And so going back and see him in these days. And yeah, I love that. I just love his little like stories that he tells uh and his like he's got a podcast basically <laughs> yeah, the audio <laughs> diaries Lando, the is, Lando chronicles yeah it's great yeah i i love oh, that so, so yeah i i um yeah 10 out of 10 for donald glover i i really really hope we get more of yeah uh, but i hope we get that series that they're talking about yeah he said he's still interested in doing it for sure and it would be perfect he set it up if they set it up in the movie with the lando chronicles it could just be these little adventure of the week stories of lando getting into trouble, like wooing the ladies and the droids and just being that his, his, his old pansexual self. So yeah. Danny Newton as Val, if I'm saying that wrong, please let me know. I'll correct it later. Not a ton of factoids about, about her in this film, but I think mostly because she's criminally underused and dies in like five seconds. So yeah. I remember very specifically my friend Ashley that was like, I can't go see it right now, but I can't wait to go see it so we can so I can really see what Val's deal is, what her story is. And I was like, oh, you're not going to like it that much if that's the case. Because <laughs> it's like, and I don't know, it's a little weird to just like kill off the love interests to further Tobias' like storyline. But that it that was like my one major criticism of the movie that I still can't quite wrap my mind yeah. around. And I Great. understand why for the emotional arc of the story, they wanted to give something for um, Woody Harrelson, Tobias Beckett, to be sad about, like, you know, to give him something humanizing that, like, sure. gets you emotionally invested in him before, you know, he eventually betrays you so that you feel kind of those mixed feelings they want you to feel about it. Right. But I just think that it could have been something else, you know? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> and not, like, I, such I, a cool character who seems so full of potential. <laughs> Right, exactly. It isn't like the CGI forearm guy, like Rio Durant, isn't him dying like enough. Val's existence in that crew, I don't think would really alter Tobias's trajectory that much. Maybe she dies later on, or maybe mm-hmm. he dies and she is the one that double crosses Han, et cetera, et cetera. I guess she's not the one teaching him the cool blaster twirl, but it's just like such a weird decision. And I don't know, it doesn't, doesn't ring very true. If she stayed alive and was the person mentoring him, I think the problem would be he'd turn out to be a better person. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's yeah. like actually cool? <laughs> like he kind of has to be stuck with the sort of lay mentor to get to the point he needs to get at. That's yeah. that's a very good point. We have, kill, we have to kill the cool character so they can yeah. all kind of dorky. <laughs> so only the only the cringe guy can come. be his mentor. So yeah, this is like the most the, like the biggest sliding doors missed opportunity moment for me personally. Even though it, it turned out really great is Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss is very good in this movie. He's almost on par with Krennic in terms of like uh, villain status for me. Mm-hmm. But what we missed out on because of this was Michael K. Williams as like a half mountain lion, half man. Michael K. Williams could do no wrong, rest in peace. And him as the villain in a Star Wars story was like so exciting to me, especially after oh, like yeah. The Wire and Boardwalk Empire, all that stuff. And like, it just came down to like, reshoots all the reshoots and the behind the scenes drama booted 
Michael K. Williams from the movie because he couldn't make the, the reshoots because they had to completely restructure the villain because of the story structure changes, which is, I'm assuming why Dryden Voss, Dryden Voss's like bodyguards are those like weird dogmen. I'm sure that they were yeah. all kind of like the same the same race. In his place, we did get Ron Howard's big homie, Paul Bettany. He worked with him on A Beautiful Mind and The Da Vinci Code. And I really like this performance. I think it's really fun. I think he really relished the opportunity to play a villain and nailed it. Especially the scene where they're in his, is it called The First Light? Is that the name of the ship? Um, yeah. And they're talking about, you know, re- revamping the plan for unrefined coaxium and the part where he's like, oh, he's cocky. Oh, and he's hungry. Like, I just love his mannerisms and how he's really chummy with him. But he's like, I will fucking kill you, actually. Travis, what are your thoughts on on Paul Bettany in this movie? Um, definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I think Dryden Voss is, I know the word is used all the time, but underrated villain i think that totally. he's gotta be at the top of the list i love dryden boss it's just sort of refreshing take on an organized crime figure in star wars we'd seen you know job of the hut but like i loved this sort of suave but like subtly scary guy and his just everything around him was just so great yeah phoebe waller bridge as l337 phoebe didn't know what a droid was prior to being cast in the film in an interview on the graham norton show she explains that like yeah so i was i was going to the audition and i thought i'm just gonna this character was amazing she's a revolutionary she's really cool and the dialogue was amazing and but it kind of said just in one of the st- in the stage directions droid and so i was like droid droid uh, what's a droid and then i googled droid and then nothing much really came up weirdly just pictures there wasn't explicitly it was a robot yeah. and i was in the taxi on the way to the audition and i was like shit i really should know what a droid is and i was asking my taxi driver he's like i don't know what a droid is and he called his family like who wants a droid <laughs> and then the more like, i didn't know the more panicky i got and then i got to the audition and i was like i'm just gonna play it like a human because the chances are it's a human because yeah. most of the times when you audition it's exactly. for humans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I went in as a human and I did the audition. They were like, the guys were like, oh, that's really great. Thank you. Could you um, try it a bit more droidy? <laughs> what sort of droidy kind of vibe do you want? And luckily, one of the directors went like this. Honestly, I saw his hand. He was like, a bit more like. <laughs> and I was like, fucking robot. <laughs> I know what they want now. <laughs> love this character. Love L3. Um, some people thought she was a little much, but I thought it was just a really cool take on a droid character. L3, what are your thoughts? I, I didn't. I thought she she could have been a lot if they put her. Like I thought she was used properly. You know what I mean? Like she it was just enough. I think just enough. Yeah, just really fun addition to the the droid lineup of Star Wars for sure. Right, that little cockpit scene with uh, Kira, where she's like, "Kira's like, how would that work?" And she's like, "It works." <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, and you're like, "What are they talking about? Uh, what is happening?" Our guy Jonas Satumo as Chewbacca, his third outing as Chewie after the Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and he's coming back to play a Jedi Wookiee in the High Republic in the upcoming Acolyte TV show. Chewbacca Watch, of course, is always ongoing on Force Time. You guys are still doing Chewbacca Watch, right? We're always doing Chewy Watch. Yes, yeah. started with every started, day is I Chewy think, Watch. With, yeah, for sure. Every day is Chewy Watch. It's the thing with Chewy is that he could literally show up in anything. I mean, he's 190 years old in this show, so maybe not like the Acolyte. Like, obviously, he's doing this other, other Wookie, but any other show, why not have Chewy yeah. show up? So it's it's coming eventually. He's gonna be there.
Um, we thought it'd be fun to celebrate the fifth anniversary by sharing our top five favorite things about Solo. I think we'll just start with you, Travis, kick it off with your number five. So hard for me to narrow it down to five, first of all, and and even to like order them on what my favorite parts are, because depending on what part in the movie that I'm watching kind of tells you what my favorite part is, because it's it's all really, really good. Uh, I'll start, though, with the double slash triple slash slash quadruple cross <laughs> at the end uh, where it's like Classic. bang, bang, bang. Things are happening. Um, I, I just the way that it all leads up to Han winning in the end, getting his coax, getting the coaxium. But obviously like that isn't exactly what he's, he's in it for at the very end, the way that Kira gets her revenge on Dryden Voss for being basically his second in command and, and basically being a slave to the crime syndicate and the way Beckett comes in and the, the fight with just the three of them with Dryden and Kira and Han, it's just the way it was shot. It was just directed so well. And it was just, you know, it, none of these are like major, like really going to blow your mind reveals, but all of them together worked really, really well, which makes this like one of the best ending scenes in star Wars. I just, I get goosebumps watching it every single time especially when kira has that line about knowing your opponent's weaknesses and and exploiting them and then when she says and today i'm yours and then she goes oh, yeah. after dryden voss is just great line it's mm. it's so good and and yeah i just i every time i watched it in theaters because i watched it multiple multiple times in theaters sure. i i just i couldn't wait to get to that scene because it was just perfect the great really great thing about this moment is that it's not 10,000 ships versus 10,000 Star Destroyers. It's three people in a little trophy room fighting. And that's the big climactic payoff of the film, which I think is a good segue into your number five, Stephanie. Uh, It is. It's perfect. My number five is that this movie is low stakes. And that is a capital G good thing that we need more of in Star Wars. I... I love me some major saga shifting stuff. I love some big force thing happening. I love a giant space battle. But this movie really proved that there's so much joy to be found and just great Star Wars storytelling to be found in simple straightforward, low stakes events that are interpersonal and exciting, but not in a way that's going to like shake your view of the whole saga. And you, you, it's just so refreshing to have a story that can be concluded with people just, just stabbing each other in the back and having a fight in a trophy room. It's great to have a story where the only thing that they're really trying to figure out is how to get this coaxium and these, this crime boss is maybe going to kill them, maybe not. And Han is have still has feelings for Kira and what's her deal. Like, that's fantastic. And I just, I want more Star Wars stories like that. I feel like there's something so magical about the... There's, there's big stakes in the first Star Wars movie in A New Hope, obviously, you know, big bad guys blowing right. up planets, but it really is pretty simple in a lot of parts. Um, rescue the princess, blow up the space station, save the day. I think that that 
gives you a, a sort of feeling of, of what Star Wars was at first that I just want more of. Um, and yeah, I think that this, this movie really, really brought that home and it makes it endlessly rewatchable, endlessly enjoyable. Um, and it doesn't have that kind of feeling where like I put it on and I either I need to like have a lie down and think about the state of the galaxy <laughs> or put on another movie immediately afterwards. Like I can put it on, have my good Star Wars feels and then go about my day in the best possible mood. And I just love that. You know, think about like friend of the show, friend of both of you as well, Kara DJ. And I talk about this a lot about think about how insane Star Wars is now just trying to justify the existence of Palpatine in Rise mm-hmm. of Skywalker. Like, think about how convoluted and like high the stakes are for that and how insane it is and how much homework you have to do to understand what the hell is going on. This is yeah. just like people fight on a ship real quick and it's over. Coaxium, it's, go it's, get it. You're like, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, my number five is um, a specific event from the film. It's the, the droid rebellion on Kessel. Like the whole prison revolt and everyone fleeing the mines on Kessel is great. But... That specific part where L3 like starts the droids like freedom of thought and takes the restraining bolts off of everybody and they all start like smashing drink trays on computers. And there's like a little gonk droid like stomping on controls and like my favorite, my favorite thing ever. Like, <laughs> stomping gonk. Just that goofy it's just such a lighthearted, goofy, fun Star Wars moment that actually like adds a lot of energy to the film because you're like, okay, this is like five different things happening at once and all of them are very fun, but this is the most fun one and the most Star Warsy out of all of them. I just really love that Droid Rebellion and I wanted to shout it out at number five. So you're number four, Travis. So Emphasis Nest in general, I love Emphasis Nest. Aaron Kellyman killed it and just the the entire first off we still don't have an emphasis nest black series or any figure without her helmet on and i feel like they were keeping that private you know they didn't want everyone to know this like that like who was under the mask but it's been five years now and i think it's okay if we go ahead and put some merch out like with her face on it but anyways so the emphasis nest twist at the end where this whole time we've thought Emphis Nest is the villain. That's what the marketing told us. That's what the beginning of the movie told us because in our eyes, we're following the main characters who are supposed to be the good guys, right? Han Solo, Chewbacca, but what they're doing working for a crime syndicate obviously is not good stuff that they're doing. And the way that everything just like flips on its head where she, she takes off her mask first off, we're led to believe it's some man probably because they refer to him as like him throughout the movie and she takes her helmet off and it's this young girl who's just like kicking everybody's ass it is really cool i don't but i don't think that's the twist part of it. i think the rebellion is the is the twist part of it where it's like oh this is this leads into this other story because most of this movie it doesn't really other than han's specific story of how does he go from you know, happy-go-lucky young kid, very bright side to what well, when we meet him at A New Hope. But this really ties it into the rest of the galaxy, which is really interesting to look back on because now every single thing that we get is tying into something. It's like every every show, every book, everything is tying in where this at least had that little bit of a tie-in at the end where it was really cool. It was like, oh, all of this happened and Han Solo inadvertently 
like helped fund the rebellion <laughs> fleet. You know, like he had a, a big part of, uh, in it without even really knowing it at first. And so I love that they they tie that in and Emphis Nest just her and her crew are so cool and their stories that the pr- crime syndicates have, you know, torn apart their their worlds and so they all came together to fight back and the fact that like all of that is leading up to them being in the rebellion, you know, it makes you think of Andor, it makes you think of Rogue One and it makes you think of um even, you know, like the Bad Batch stuff like that where it's like all this like rebellion start type stuff star wars rebels obviously is starting to come back in and and this is like a huge part of the rebellion i just i I thought that was a really cool way to flip the entire movie on its head where it's like okay they're not the villains like of course they're not the villains like the the people we're following are the villains like they're the Mm -hmm. bad guys they're doing this really bad stuff stealing all this stuff and and the way that it flips is it was just a really cool twist and i'll never forget like that first time watching it just my mind was blown at that point so so good and especially like the character design of emphasis nest is so flawless looks just looks so cool all the cloud riders in general look great but um that being like the proto rebellion at the end really really stood out to me too i really love that part and how yeah it ties it together but it doesn't it's not hitting you over the head with it and like han doesn't join the rebellion then obviously etc etc it's just it's just a fun tip of the hat to what's to come and i i really love that part uh stephanie what's your number four my number four is our buddy dryden boss's ship the what did you say it was called i don't even remember the first light the first light it's so cool. Just like this half moon thing, that shot of it first appearing behind the snowy mountain and coming out. Just one of my favorite ship designs in Star Wars. I think that Star Wars is, you know, they're always trying to come up with some cool new ship design. I just love that one. It feels so very Star Wars, but also so very unique and like very much like this is a luxury yacht in Star Wars, uh, but different from like Jabba's palace or his barge. And I just loved just the vibes. It felt like a Bond villains yacht, but the Star Wars version. And yeah, yeah, I just loved it. And everything that was happening inside of it, once again, the Bond villain vibes for sure. Um, It was just one of those like production design and just sort of everything coming together to just like scream, this is Star Wars. They're serving those colo clawfish, clawfish eggs yes. on a. They have great snacks on the first their first light. Yeah, Chewbacca's getting drunk. Yeah. Chewbacca's yeah. getting so hammered. Good. Yeah, Chewbacca doing shots is like my actual number one. Um, <laughs> it's funny too with that ship specifically. Like every other ship, for the most part, in Star Wars is like iterative of another ship that you've seen before. It's like slightly modified. It looks used. It looks like it has been used in battles before, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is like a very singular ship you there's really yeah. there's literally nothing else that looks like it in film or tv canon at this point so yeah i love that ship so much my number four speaking of loving them so much it starts with our main man therm scissor punch <laughs> but in general just the great creatures of solo it's like they're there and they're used in such a way that they are weirdly secondary you know they're usually front and center in star wars films but they're just really kind of going back to back to basics in solo where they're just used for uh, atmosphere and to populate weird cantinas in the mountains next to spacey acts and things like that. Therm Scissor Punch was uh, one of two lobster men that year that stole my heart. <laughs> the other one being the Brian King from Aquaman. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, this is a big year for lobster men. But like, <laughs> but before that though, it's like, you know, you, of course you start the movie with 
uh, Moloch, who is like this weird larva guy that wears a robe and has a mask. And then Lady Proxima, who is like, get oh out of here. God. Amazing. Just the giant. Remember the silo. Remember, <laughs> Remember it. the silo. Oh, so good. Giant grandma worm lady. This one-eyed guy at the Sabak table when they first meet Lando. That's just kind of like, looks like a little uh, like deranged Pixar character. Like I mentioned earlier, Dryden Voss's Dogman Guards. So, so good. One of the Dogman Guards near the end goes, it's empty. And it gets me every <laughs> single time. <laughs> yes. It's empty. And then, uh, of course, we get one of two two tubes uh, in the um, in the Cloud Riders, and then my favorite, my my new metal band's name, Suma Verminoth, which is the thing that's like protecting the the maw in um, the Maelstrom oh, around. I, don't, I I still don't know what the hell they're talking about in the Kessel Run part, but who knows? But who cares? Yeah, yeah, the weird space kraken that's like gets its skin ripped off by a black hole. Like, how could you not like this movie when a giant Honestly. space squid gets its skin ripped off? It rules. But yeah, just really awesome creature design. Like the six-eyed alien that's at the table where he's like, keep all of your eyes to yourself. Really good memories of Neil Scanlon showing that off at uh, Celebration Chicago and showing how that all worked with all the uh, motors and uh, remote control aspect of it. And it was just like, I don't know. The creature design is like, again, I'm using the word again, but super underrated in Solo. Like we don't we don't see these characters really again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say uh, I love Lady Proxima um, because she can't like be around the sunlight either. It like burns her right. skin. That shot of her like with the sunlight is really cool. And uh, Lady Proxima shows up in the Dr. Afra comics, which is – oh. A fun fact for you there. I I love um, it. I just I love Lady Proxima. Travis, number one Doctor Afra fan. I am Doctor <laughs> Afra twenty twenty. Go read it. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. I read it because of your recommendation, and I, it's great. You recommended it so much that I was just like, I, I checked it out. That's it's, it's <laughs> wonderful. Because I, I recommended it so much. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm not saying that to like. I'm not. That's not putting you down. It's like I love that you love it that much. I'm proud of that. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say that they um, that they have started reading it. So I I haven't resorted to bullying yet people um, <laughs> to read it. So I'm glad that just me like being so um, over the top about it has made you read. Yeah. That makes me happy. I'm glad yeah. about that. They better cut that check. Let's go to your number three, Travis. My number three is Dryden Voss. He, like I said earlier, super underrated. He's the perfect amount of creepy and like confident. Like you can tell like how he's gotten in power, but he, you can also tell he's just the worst type of person. And sure. like you kind of shout out earlier, just that opening right from the beginning, we know um, how serious we, sh- we need to take him because he's literally killing a governor, like an Imperial governor. And we know in star Wars, how big of a deal those guys are. So um, yeah, Dryden Voss, Paul Bettany. Wow. I, and his design where he's like, kind of like alien too. And his, his, you know, when he gets mad, his face gets like super red and those like stripes and everything. So yeah, his, uh, his ship, his, his artifacts that he has, everything is so underrated. I, I love that we got a little bit of him shown in the Bad Batch as well. Um, or was that Clone Wars? One of Clone Wars season Wars seven. Season yeah. seven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really love Dryden Boss. Stephanie, I like the boldness of your number three to just go in and claim a whole uh, act of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> like, train <go> chase. <laughs> she Listen. was like, uh, the whole train chase is mine to talk about. <laughs> I, I was raised by a train nerd. I'm, I'm not a full on train nerd myself. 
but my dad is a proud subscriber of Trains Magazine. Shut the whole podcast down. Yeah, he, he'd take me to rail fan conventions when I was a kid, but I didn't mind because I could look at the little mini trains and I thought that was cool, like all the model train sets. But yeah, okay, so <laughs> my dad's on the autism spectrum, same here, but <laughs> when it comes down to it, I was so excited to see a train chase in Star Wars. I love train-based like action scenes. They remind me of like my favorite Westerns or... Or just like some of those great classic movies, Lawrence of Arabia always had the great train part in it. And I just was super excited to see like a, a solid train chase. And then obviously when the Book of Boba Fett came along with that train episode, that was another high point for Star Wars trains for me. But this was so cool. And it was like an elevated train in the snow. And then the cloud riders come in and there's the music. Like honestly, everything hits so hard about this scene except for Val dying but you know it was still really cool yeah Star Wars train there wasn't really a Star Wars train chase before this was there I can't think of one like on screen um I don't think so I think just since since we got the one in Boba Fett now too which was really good and it reminded me a lot of this one but yeah this this one was awesome and it also had like the behind the scenes of how they shot that was incredible too. It was so good. The the whole setting and the the music and the the choreography of the whole thing. It was just a perfect action set piece and yeah, for being the very first Star Wars train-based action scene. Uh, it's got to be on my list. The only train thing I can remember is like in Clone Wars when um, like with young Boba Fett with um, oh with yeah the, like, body hunters arc but other than that yeah. like it, this is the only live action one for sure and it's so good yeah, especially at the end it. when like that at at hauler that they have and then like the five cloud rider swoop bikes are pulling at it <sighs> midair so good and, like, they have to all cut the cords and like no one gets it and then one a next to chewy doing shots is the actual like bubble explosion that the coaxium causes at the end mm-hmm. um i was reading that they actually got inspiration from that from like some science youtube channel where they're blowing up stuff underwater and they're like that's what it looks like when coaxium explodes yeah. so um just so cool just a lot of fun thought magnet boots goggles on chewy my number three is uh just the amazing cinematography of bradford young in this movie he's probably most known for his uh work on one of my favorite movies of all time arrival and then like a most violent year question is this the best looking modern star wars movie for some reason to me this is like out of all the movies since force awakens this is like the best looking out of all of them. And it's largely due to Bradford Young's cinematography. It's it's these lush environments, fog, color, shadow, everything is very tangible. And there's a lot of like depth of field of things. I'm thinking of mm-hmm. like what you were talking about earlier, Stephanie, when the first light comes up from behind the mountains, mm-hmm. but you see far off like tundra in the distance, but like there's also, you know, the C- like I'm sure it's CGI in, in parts, but it looks real with the actual sunset and things like that. And just... The indoor scenes where they're inside like the Grand Central Station of Corellia. Everything's got this like film quality to it, like this yeah. kind of graininess. It kind of gives me the, this feeling in like the aesthetic of like the 80s fantasy movies we talked about. But it really comes down to the fact that like this is shot like a movie movie, not like an action sci-fi movie. This is shot like a straight up drama or a straight up like crime movie. And it looks so, so good. And that's largely due to Bradford Young's cinematography. So I just wanted to shout that out. It, it's like the most of a piece with the 80s Star Wars movies too. Like, it, Yeah. It fits, and that's one I reason this whole movie most, feels so Star Wars. It aligns way more with 
the originals than the sequels do aesthetically. Number two. My number two is, I'm going to cheat a little bit, but the opening scene slash Kira and Han's love story. So I love this this whole opening scene. Like I said, it, it drew me in right from the beginning. The hot wiring of the car, the street chase, the like young love trying to escape together. Um, it really set up the entire movie, but it was again, like every time I went to see it, I was like, Oh, it just, it, it made me feel good. It was, it was fun. Like, and that's all it really set up that Kira and Han love story, which I feel like star Wars needs more of is because, because the original, like original trilogy, especially empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. Like we have this huge love story between Leia and Han and we haven't got, you know, and obviously like in the prequels too, but a lot of the, the most recent star Wars, we haven't got a ton of like big time love stories. And right. I love that they base this off it. And this is what kind of helped turn Han into that more cynical. Cause at the end, if Kira stays with him and they have this little bit of coaxium, like they can run off and do their own thing. But Han's like, Nope, like let's go, let's go find this job. Let's go make more. And I, I just, that their whole dynamic throughout the entire movie is really what brings this, this story together and brings Han's story together. And I, I love that we get that so much. And it's just right from the beginning. It, it, it's just so good. Yeah. And that, it doesn't take away from the Han and Leia romance. It informs it because he's so, mm-hmm. he's so cynical and hard hearted in the original trilogy. And it makes sense because he's, He's had his heart broken and he lost her twice. Someone like that doesn't want to lose the person they love again. So it's like, I, I love what it informs, but doesn't hit you over the head with it. So um, how about you, Stephanie, number two? So my number two is, this could have been number one, honestly. The music, specifically Emphis Nests slash the Cloud Riders theme music. Nothing pumps me up like that. I think for a period of time after this movie came out, I would just put on the Emphis Nest theme music, like <laughs> when it first comes in during the train train action sequence, just like when I needed to like get pumped up. Like if I had to have like a difficult conversation with my boss or just like convince <laughs> myself that it was like, you know, this was you know, bad things were happening in the world. They still are. If I got pissed off about current events or something, I would put this music on and just be like, I'm going to go kick some ass. <laughs> like it just, it's like if the um, sort of choral music that we know from things like the duel of the fates was just like given this like aura of like feminine rage that's like turned up to 11, which I think honestly should have been a clue of like who Emphis Ness turns out to be because like mm-hmm. it, it gives the, the cloud writers, like the the aura of like these like avenging furies, like you know, like the the feminine Greek, the Valkyries. you know, goddesses of like tormenting people who've done the wrong thing, like coming in from the sky. It just like has this otherworldly sound to it. And so I guess on that on that subject, John Powell just really kicked it out of the park with this one. I think that the I think that he was like, you know, we don't talk about the score for Solo as much as we talk about, say, the score for Rogue One, and understandably so, because it's an amazing score. And this one kind of does 
I think other than like the Enfys Nest theme, it's more like it really does a great job of sounding like a Star Wars film score, not like totally. something like completely new and different. So that if you weren't paying close attention, you might just assume that it's John Williams. But I think that that just doesn't give enough credit to how good a job he does. Because I know that from the, I know that technically it's uh, his interpretation of the theme that John Williams came back and wrote uh, a Han Solo theme for Han for the movie. But the movie opens with John Powell's interpretation slash instrumentation of that theme. And it just was what drew me in right away when his music is paired with the, with the opening text. And then the part where he's hot wiring the car, I was like, I'm sold. I'm in this movie. So yeah, the music is amazing. And emphasis theme is going to be like an all time star Wars banger for me. I'm glad you had that on your list because the music was definitely going to be on my list too. And I was like, Oh, that gives me an extra spot. Cause I'm going to talk about it here too, because I, I think, uh, I think, this soundtrack is my favorite of all the new all the new movies yeah all the all the um saga movies all the like rogue one everything i think this is my favorite this is the one that i put on the most and you're right right from the beginning like hans chewie's got a cool theme and and emphasis ness i mean the entire way through and then the uh the Kessel run mm-hmm. that whole chase it weaves in all these different original trilogy songs within that as well which is just incredible so yeah the entire soundtrack i yeah shout out to john powell because it's it's incredible and it's at the top of my list yeah that emphasis nest music to me belongs in the same category as like the wonder woman the modern like wonder woman like guitar that if you've ever heard that like yeah. where you're just like i'm gonna punch my fist through a wall right now i'm so pumped up <laughs> i'm gonna lift my house up above my head um i don't want to step on your toes with this travis too much if you're gonna talk about this part but there's a spot where they just rescue han and chewy han and chewy on the bottom of the at hauler like flying through the mountains and it's the most like free sounding perfect most peaceful music for like Han flying through the clouds, you know, this is what he's always wanted to do is fly and be a pilot. And he's almost on his way there. John Powell did the score for How to Train Your Dragon, all three of those. And his score for that does the same kind of thing where you feel like you're on the back of a dragon, like soaring through the sky whenever you listen to his his score. So I think that choosing him was very purposeful for a movie about a wannabe pilot. So piggybacking off that yeah. is also on the, on the soundtrack. My, my number two, I have this obsession with diegetic, like in-universe Star Wars music, like bands that exist in the Star Wars universe that are playing music. This is one of uh, the tops out of all of those. It's Chicken in the Pot from the soundtrack itself, uh, sung Hell by yeah. a little frog man in a jar. And this like <laughs> yes. tall golden woman with a microphone mouth. Um, and I don't know if you know this part, but like they're singing about like hamburgers and hot dogs <laughs> translated into hutties. They're like just singing about how good hamburgers and hot dogs and mayonnaise are. And I agree Yum. completely. <laughs> When this part happened, I was like, holy shit, I need this soundtrack right now. And then you get the soundtrack, and it's the little frog guys singing a higher version of it. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about this. And then the deluxe version of the soundtrack came out, and it was like the lower version was on there. And I was like, all is well in the galaxy again. But when this part happened, I about fell out of my chair in the theater because it's so, it's, it's like perfect. Um, 
and that little frogman in the jar is like a pop sensation in the Star Wars universe because he's his name is Lulio Primak. It, it's like a reference to Louis Prima. Yeah. He's got two other hits from the Clone Wars era. One's called Carve Your Name in My Heart. <laughs> the other is called Your Love is Gravy. So more, more food-based uh, singing from uh, frogman in a jar. So that's my number two. So that's my number two. Let's go. Let's go through our number ones. Let's do it. Mine is Han and Chewie's friendship. I think it was so important for this to be such a big part of this movie, obviously establishing how they met and how they become to be this incredible duo that we know so well. And I think that Chewie has always been that angel on Han's shoulder where he's maybe got all these other things in his head about um, bad things that he could be doing. But Chewie's always there, like even in A New Hope. Chewie's the one that convinces him. We don't know what Chewie said, but he said something, and then Han turns back. And in this movie, we get so much of them having that that friendship just started. And then when it all comes together in the end, when Kira flies off, Chewie puts his arm around Han or puts it puts it on Han's shoulder. It's just like the best moment of this entire movie, where it's like, ah, like that's that's why we needed this movie, and it's just. Han has always been that good guy. Like that's, I think that's kind of the point of this movie. Cause I think, you know, even at the, at the very end where Kira is like, he's going to try to help you to emphasize nest, even before we know what he's going to do. She's like, he's going to try to help you. Like she knows his heart. She knows he has that in him. And I think that Chewie just brings out the best of him always. And the fact that he's been there, for Han from the beginning of his like heartbreak right there is, is so good. And that moment is like top tier star Wars. And their, their intro to each other is so, is so well done too. like the yes. fighting in the pit. That whole introduction is, is trauma bonding with Chewie and Han, you know? Yeah. So and um, I love that Han can, good. can speak, can speak Wookiee or Kashyyyk, oh, yeah. Kashyyykian so or whatever you want to call it. Totally. Like that's, yeah. that's really good. And, and they shower together. I mean, how much, how much, you know, they, they got to be really good friends after that, apparently. <laughs> Can you believe that in the same movie, we have the implication that Lando had sex with the Millennium Falcon and also that Han Solo and che- Chewbacca take a shower together? Like, in your, in, your wildest, in your wildest imagination, could you ever imagine such a thing happening in your lifetime? Yeah. But what's your number one, Stephanie? My number one is kind of a general statement, but I think this is just why this movie works so well. I think it's just the perfect balance of everything that makes Star Wars so special. Fun, it's creative, it throws you uh, new, exciting things you've never seen in Star Wars. It's got impact, as much as I've said that it's low stakes, it is low stakes, but it's got good emotional impact. You're invested in these relationships, you're invested in Kira and Han, you're invested in Han and Chewie, you're invested in what's going on. And I think that that, it just really gives me Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes. And I think that that yes. makes sense because, you know, Lawrence Kasdan wrote later Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, wrote this with his son. So that makes sense. But like Raiders of the Lost Ark is like one of my all time favorite movies because it is just the perfect fun movie. And I think that this captures that in a way that other star wars movies have not and i want more star wars movies to do that and i think that's that's simply it it's got the it's got the fantastic sincere emotion 
of Raiders. It's got the fantastic action sequences. It's got the satisfying uh, plot lines. It's got the great twists that don't overwhelm the story, but like keep you involved. I don't know. It's the kind of movie I'd pop on all the time whenever I want to be in a good mood and remind myself how movie making can be this wonderful positive experience. And Raiders is that, and this is that. That's why I love it. I was about to add some things to what you're saying, but you nailed it. I can't, I can't, you, 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 uh, you nailed everything and yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That's um, perfect. <laughs> My number one, we've touched on it already, but I really have to reinforce how good I think Alden Ehrenreich's performance as Han is in, in this movie. One thing that really stood out to me on this rewatch this time is this moment where Lando and L3 are in the cockpit and they first punch it into hyperspace with the Millennium Falcon and, you know, the stars stretch out and they enter hyperspace and Han's just like in the seat in the back, like the jump seat, just like wide eyed and like, I'm doing it. Like I'm a pilot. I'm doing this. That just really stuck out to me. It reminded me of um, in Avengers Endgame when they show like like the stars and the cosmos going through Steve Rogers eyes and the close up where he's just like he started off as a guy that was frozen under the ocean and now he's flying through space. It kind of had that same weight to it where it's like. This guy thought he was stuck forever on Karelia, and now he's part of this big, grand space adventure. And I think that Alden Ehrenreich really nails the performance. We 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 talked about it a ton earlier, but I just really wanted to reinforce that. Maybe an anticlimactic number one for me, since we've already talked about it so much. But I just really think it's a, a, a wonderful performance that just gets better the more you watch it. So. before you leave we wanted to do this for our may the fourth episode life gets busy there wasn't time you know after star wars celebration ahsoka is about to come out i really wanted to stop and take like a snapshot of where we are now we're this really great kind of midpoint of the old disney star wars and the new and i wanted to take a moment and like talk about the state of the galaxy in general kind of do a quick like report card on releases that have come out in the past few years just do like a quick rapid fire style I wanted to start, you know, I think our feelings on The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens and Rogue One are pretty well documented. But also, you know, obviously we just talked about Solo. So those are off the list. So we are going to start and give a letter grade A through F to everything that's been released so far under the Disney mantle of Star Wars, uh, starting with The Rise of Skywalker. Travis, A through F. I've gone back and forth a lot on this, but I'm going to give it a B. I'm going to give it a B. B. Okay, Stephanie. I'm going to give it a C plus with the understanding that it could get a B with the assistance of uh, some heavy lifting from other material. But that's the good thing about Star Wars. (laughs) I'm giving it a D minus. You know what? It's the most heinous thing that's ever been released. (laughs) The more more things that come out and I'm like, I've read the books. We've watched Book of Boba Fett (laughs) and Mandalorian to fill it. I'm just like, I don't know if anything could could hoist this back up but we'll see what about uh star wars resistance i'll give this one a c i did enjoy resistance just wasn't quite for me i don't think but yeah i'll give it a c i'll give it a b i thought it was fun and yeah (laughs) i didn't think it was anything wrong with it it just wasn't like my favorite 
Kaz does not do it for me, but I'm going to give it a B as well because uh, the first season's like, okay, but the second season's really good. And I think if you can make it to the second season through Kaz's like bumbling adventures in the first season, then you're golden because there's some really cool stuff that happens in the second season. Uh, Mando season one. A. Yeah, big ol' A. I'm going A as well. It's, it's perfect. Clone Wars season seven. I'm going to give Clone Wars season seven an A as well. Um, I'm going to give it an A plus <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's possible. Not only is it possible, but I'm right there. Some with of the you. best Star Wars yeah. I've ever seen. When the last four episodes episodes came out, I was like floating above my couch. Yeah. Just like, what is this? Because it was like mid pandemic. Uh, everyone was feeling terrible, and then that came out, and everyone was like, mm-hmm. had something to really unite under. So, yeah, A plus for that. Travis, the Bad Batch, season one. B plus. B plus. I'm gonna go ahead and put A plus for Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie you know me. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say B. I've come around to it. I didn't love it at first, but now I'm a lot more fond of it. So Mando season two, Travis. I'll give Mando season two a B plus as well. I'm gonna give Mando season two a B. And no, I will not elaborate on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna say B plus too. I I really love the second one. It's I don't think it's it reaches the heights of season one, but it's still yeah. really good. uh Visions Volume One, Travis. A minus. I'm gonna give it an A. Um, I'm also gonna give it an A minus. There's some stuff in there that's like top tier, then there's some stuff that's just like very skippable, but it's all yeah. beautifully, beautifully rendered. So Book of Boba Fett, Travis. B. B for Boba Fett. A B minus. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel bad, but nothing nothing could ever top that train episode. So it was kind of all down there. <laughs> all about the trains. Mm-hmm. Runs in the family. Uh don't feel too bad because I'm giving it a C. Obi-Wan Kenobi. A plus, perfect, 10 out of 10, no notes. I'm going to give it an A. It would have been an A plus, but over time I had like the plus went away, but it's still an A for me. Oh no, the cheese stands alone. I'm going to I'm gonna give it a C, I'm sorry. I it's okay, bad. it's okay. I, I mean, boo, but we all have to have our opinions. <laughs> this is a safe space. It's, <laughs> it's, still, it's still good. It's, it's not an F. It's still, it's still a passing It's still grade. passing there's, grade. There's, I, we also don't need to discuss that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, all right, Andor, Travis. B plus. A plus. I'm giving it A plus plus plus. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it a plus plus. I didn't know we were allowed to do that. Can I give it a plus plus plus? You can do whatever you want to. Bad Batch season two. B plus as well. Stephanie, I'm going to go ahead and put A plus for you as well. A plus plus <laughs> plus. No, just one plus because tech. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. You know how I feel about that. Uh, I'm going to give it an A minus just to be different. Season two was really good. Uh, season three of Mando. Travis. B plus. A B. I'm going to give it a, a B plus as well. I'm right there with you, Travis. Some ups and downs, but way more ups than downs for sure. And then the most recent thing that was released, Visions Volume 2. A. I'm going to give this one an A plus for creativity. I'm going to give it an A as well. I thought it was fantastic. I love the variety. I loved uh, Screechers, Screechers Reach is like one of my favorite Star Wars things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, so cool. Well, that was a fun little exercise. I definitely didn't re- think I would be the harshest grader out of all of us. So It's okay. No, I, should, uh, I do like Star Wars, I swear. I'm going to post this online. Share with us what you think your uh, Star Wars report card is from Rise of Skywalker on. Um, we'll post it with a, with a little template so you can make your own. Mm-hmm. Um, with everything announced at Star Wars Celebration, what upcoming Star Wars project excites you the most? Travis? Hands down, the Ray movie. Can't wait. Stephanie, what's your most anticipated I, Star Wars It's got to be a movie for me because I'm so excited to see Star Wars in theaters again. Um, I'm going to go with that one that's like a Bible epic <laughs> that they said. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> the one, it doesn't have a name, does it? 
Nope. Just like that like, origin like of the fourth one. Years. Oh yeah. Like I um, cannot wait for that one to like blow my mind. That sounds so cool. I'm telling you. And it's even more exciting because James Mangold's doing Dial of Destiny and they must have been like really into what they had mm-hmm. to give him such a wild Star Wars movie to do. That's I mean, that's the one I'm most excited for too, but uh just for something different too. I'm I can't wait for Acolyte. I just cannot wait for yeah. it. I'm I'm so so excited for that. It is that James Mangold Bible epic. Just that whole aspect of that, like if there's any mention of like the Skywalker lineage. It, like that mentioned on like a cave wall or something, I'll probably lose my mind. It'll be amazing. Um, but even if it's not attached at all, I still cannot wait for that. So the state of the Star Wars galaxy is strong. Thankfully, we have a lot to look forward to. Ahsoka's coming up here and or season two, probably pushed back because of the writer's strike, but we'll see. Um, I think Ahsoka said something like August 31st was the rumored release date. So, you know, that's, it'll be here before you know it. Make sure to revisit Solo if you haven't in a while. Give it another chance or just watch it again if you absolutely love it. Thanks for being here. Travis, do you want to promote anything? Do you want to tell people where they can find Force Time? I would love to. You can find Force Time on Instagram at Force Time Pod, on Twitter at Force Time Pod. Got a couple fun episodes coming up. Um, Going to be talking Obi Wan Kenobi show that i just gave an a plus to uh very soon coming out this weekend i'm not invited to that pot apparently <laughs> yeah it's all right man you gotta stay away uh but that's coming up um got some other fun announcements coming up too that i can't say anything about Ooh. quite yet but Ooh. look at it yeah for maybe one of my friends doing something really cool that i'm gonna be a little bit of a part of um that's gonna be wink, coming up wink. so follow on instagram on twitter and yeah Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. And I don't know anything about that secret project at all. <laughs> sure. Stephanie, anything you want to promote at this time? Um, Just, you know, I'll be back here on this show anytime we talk Star Wars. But other than that, I'm just like, just loving life right now. <laughs> I'm just living life right now. <laughs> I mean, in the best possible way. <laughs> Just riding those trains. Just riding the yep, train of riding life. Riding the trains. <laughs> and I, uh, this is my guarantee to you that I will get those last two bad batch episodes out this is going in the episode and this is a promise to the to the, the listeners and to the hosts that those the last clones. two a talk of the clones will come out we fell down that giant chasm with tech but like tech we will rise again yeah. yes we are we're still living at listen uh, <laughs> if you like what you heard here today make sure to follow us at b1n1pod on Instagram to keep up with all of our future episodes. Obviously, subscribe to the feed so everything pops up when we post a new episode. Uh, Make sure to follow, like, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars and ring the bell on Spotify so you don't miss out on an episode. And uh, thanks to Christian Cramo for our theme music. Thanks to John Powell for writing Chicken in the Pot and talking about hot dogs and mayonnaise and hot teas. Thanks again to Stephanie and Travis for being here to talk about Solo. Thanks to Han Solo for being really cool. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 